We're in the second week of our series uh, from this day forward. And I love that that idea, because it doesn't matter what you've done in the past from this day forward. Last week, we talked about we're going to fight fair. And so what we're talking about um, is if you are not married, we want to give you some tools to fail-proof your future marriage. And if you're already married, we want to give you five commitments that if you make these commitments under God, with his help, you will fail-proof your marriage from this day forward. So here are five commitments. Y'all say them with me aloud. They're going to be on the screen. Ready? Seek God. Let me hear you. Fight fair. Have fun. Stay pure. Never give up. Let's say them a little bit louder as if we mean them. Seek God. Fight fair. Have fun. Stay pure. Never give up. All right, Krista. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready. Bonus, do you know who says that? You know who that guy was? Michael Buffer. He's the guy, he's famous for this. That's his, his catchphrase before boxing. If you watch um, Mixed Martial Arts, it's his brother Bruce who says, It's time! <laughs> They're trying to out-drama out each other, I guess. But, but I want to give you two bonus scriptures today that uh, will get you in the mood to rumble. Ready? Here's the first one. A nagging wife is like a drip, drip, drip of a leaky faucet. You can't turn it off and you can't get away from it. And all the men said? Amen. All right. Now, you notice there were like four men who said amen. There's a lot of men who have gained some wisdom, and they're like, there's no need to turn that faucet on at church. I get enough of that at home. So some of you guys have learned. You other guys, you brought it on yourself. A quarrelsome. Now, this is scripture, all right? Now, don't get mad at me. This is the message translation, but it says that a nagging, criticizing, manipulative, critical wife will drive you insane. And don't say amen. Now, ladies, I don't want you to feel left out, so here's a verse for you. It is better to have severe hemorrhoids than to live with a husband who is the rear end of a horse. Now, that is not in Scripture. You notice that's 1 Doug 4.12. That is the Washburn Bible. Now, if you're following online, I didn't give Keith, I changed the translation, but because it's the Washburn Bible, I can change it. I said jerk, but I thought that's not good enough. It needs to be the southbound end of a northbound horse, right? That's, that's what's going on sometimes. And all the ladies said? Y'all just threw it out there, even after I said all that other stuff. Now, it's not in the Bible, but maybe it should be, right? Everybody fights. We want to learn how to fight fair. How many of you have ever fought over something stupid and insignificant? How many of you did it on the way to church today? <laughs> today, yeah. And have you ever noticed when you do that, many times you're sitting alone in the church service when you fight over something stupid on the way to church. And, and just $1,000 of, of marital counseling, you can be back in love again, right? <laughs> Why do people fight? Well... The basic line, the bottom line is that it's we're sinners. We do sinful things. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this. I keep telling you that because I want you to know who these guys are who wrote the scripture. James was not a believer in Christ until after Jesus rose from the dead. He was a doubter um, and, and thought Jesus was crazy until he rose from the dead. Because when you say you're going to rise from the dead and you do it, that causes people to want to follow you. So even his brother, his half-brother, believed. And here's what he says in James 4, 1 and 2. 
What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the, what, is, what are these words? Evil desires. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. You don't, uh, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And then the next verse says, or if you do ask God, you ask with wrong motives, selfishly, that you may spend it on yourself. So God's not going to answer that prayer. All couples fight, but there's a difference in how they fight. Healthy couples fight fair. Unhealthy couples fight dirty. That's the low blows. That's the accusations. That's the names, the undercuts. You're just like your mother. That was like the number one insult to my mom. One time we were on a trip and I was in eighth grade and my mom and my aunt Patsy, her younger sister, were in the bed and I'm sleeping on the floor. We'd gone to this massive family reunion and, uh, and they, they wouldn't shut up because my mom and my, my, my aunt just talk, 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 talk. Well, I'm laying on the floor. It's like one o'clock in the morning. And, and I said, I didn't know how this was going to come across, but I was just frustrated. And I said, Gertrude, please shut up. Well, Gertrude was their mama's name dead silence. And I'm eighth grade. I'm like, man, I'd have done that sooner. <laughs> the next day we're, we're driving back to Texas. We were way out in Arizona. We're b driving back to Texas. Silence. I mean, there's steam flowing out of their ears. We're, we're in one of those old suburban. So I'm at the very back. It's just mom and Patsy up front and I'm in the very back and I'm just loving life because they're not talking. And my aunt Patsy said, uh, Doug, I said, yes, ma'am. She said, just who were you calling Gertrude last night? And I said, you don't know? Wisest thing I've ever done. I said, I'm not telling you. If you don't know, it shut them up. So you got to be careful saying you're just like your mother. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for victory. I'll do whatever I can to win. But here's, here's the irony. When you win a fight against your spouse, you lose because you're fighting against yourself. There's this thing called the Gottman Institute, and, and I, wouldn't, I don't even want you to go and look it up, but here's what I thought was interesting. This guy studied couples who fight, and he studied them over a 16-year period, and he got so good at watching them fight that he, he figured this out. He said, I can watch, and, and, and this has been proven true, he can watch a couple fight for five minutes, and he can determine with 91% accuracy whether that couple is going to make it or divorce. He said, it's not if you fight, it's how you fight. And he can watch you and he can know, can we please, please, please draw a line as Christ followers? And if you weren't here last week, get the sermon last week. We're going to seek God every day through prayer. And then we're going to learn to fight fair. In, is anyone interested in doing that? I don't see any hands. All right, come on. Thank you. So we talked about this um, earlier in the year in our, in our uh, Me and My Big Mouth series, but we're going to come back to this because there's three rules in this verse from James, the half-brother of Jesus, that you've got to learn if you're going to fight fair. So here's the verse, James 1.19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Remember what we did in that series? You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Do that with me. Ready? Quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. All right, slow it down. Here, here are the three rules to fight fair. Number one is listen carefully. Listen how? Uh-huh, be quick to listen. How many of you are quick listeners? How many of you are quick to speakers? 
Uh-huh. We can, we can look at your personality and tell you which are the quickest speakers. We can go from zero to hell hath no fury in a nanosecond, right? Especially with the people we're supposed to love. Quick to argue, quick to make a point, quick to throw a low blow. And the enemy of God laughs because you've taken a play out of his satanic Bible. Not the word of God, the word of Satan, because you're destroying your own marriage. How many of you think you can text and listen at the same time? Some of you are going, no, you put them hands down. Now, when Janie and I got married, there weren't cell phones. There were barely pagers back in those days. There certainly wasn't DVR. So my problem was sports on TV. And Janie's problem was she wanted to talk to me when there was sports on TV. I mean, deep stuff, not just, hey, what do you want for supper or you want to go do this? It was, can we talk? She, she used to walk in front of the TV and I'm going, woman, they're scoring, you know, and that didn't work well. And, and DVR was the best thing ever for our marriage because I can pause it or I can record it and watch it later. And she would say to me, she, she would test me sometimes. My kids, when they were little, they would sit in my lap a lot. And I love snuggling with my kids. But they couldn't sit in my lap during sporting events because I'm, I'm jumping. And they're like, Daddy, you're squeezing me. Because if they're trying to tackle and they're not, and they're like, Daddy, we got to get up. We got to go away from you. <laughs> Janie would say, are you listening to me? Typical man response. Yeah. What did I just say? Uh. Y'all ever had that conversation? I have a master's degree in religious education. How can someone with a master's degree be so stupid? <laughs> Janie hadn't said that, but I know she's thought it. The word of God teaches that we're to be quick to take emotion out of the fight and attempt, uh, attempt to comprehend what the other person is saying. So when you're not quick to listen, I'm, I'm just going to tell you the truth today. The Bible has a word for you, a description for you, and here it is in Proverbs 18.2. What is that first word? Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their opinions. Quick to speakers, and I've been one of those, and if I'm not careful, if I'm not in the spirit of God, I'm a quick to speaker. Quick to speakers are fools, according to the word of God. A fool is like, I don't care what you have to say. You will hear my opinion. It's what we do in fights. We're, we're not trying to understand the other person. We want to make our point. We want to win, and the scripture says when we do that, we're fools. Simple method is just to repeat back what your spouse or your... And by the way, what I'm talking to you about today will work with your boss. It will work with your, your family, with your friends. We're talking about this because we're in the marriage here. But a simple method is to repeat back what they said to you. It's like when you go order. I love now that, that most places when you order fast food places, you can see it on the, menu, on the screen. Is your order correct on the screen? If it's not correct, do you lose it? No, you idiot! Some of you do. What does the Bible call you? What do you do? If it's wrong on the screen, you say, no, that's not right. Here's what I, and you keep repeating the process. So they say, okay, now is your order right? What do you think would happen to the emotion in our relationships if we repeated back, okay, let me, let me make sure I've got this right. Here's what I think you said. And, and instead of getting mad and calling me an idiot, you go, no, 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 that's not what I said. Here's what I meant. What happens to the emotion when we do that? It changes, and you can make progress. <laughs> Repeating their message fo forces us to listen, and, and our spouse feels validated. And, and ladies, don't you like to feel validated? 
Don't you like to feel heard? Guys, you do too. Too often, though, we start fighting about what we're fighting about, and the issue gets put to the side. And can I tell you, when people come talk to me, rarely is the issue they're fighting about the issue. There's something deeper. There's something that happened a long time ago. And, and I'm just going to tell you, I've gone through the Love and Respect series three times in the last few months because I've been taking couples through that as, as they are, are about to get married. It's what I do in premarital counseling. And, and you need to go, if you've not seen it in a while, you need a refresher because in the Love and Respect series, he teaches us that there's something called the crazy cycle. Here's how the crazy cycle happens. And it's funny because all three of these couples said, that's us, right? If we're not careful. So he does something that's unloving. He doesn't mean it unloving, but she receives it as unloving. She responds to him by doing something he feels is disrespectful. It's called the crazy cycle. So unloving, disrespectful, unloving, disrespectful, unloving. It goes like this, and you're on the crazy cycle. And when you're on a treadmill or you're on a crazy cycle, when you stop and get off, where are you? You're exactly where you started. We don't have to do that. When you're on the crazy cycle, the enemy of God wins. You don't have to agree on the issue. In fact, many times you're not going to agree on the issue, but you love the person. Janie and I have been married 29 years, and she's been wrong once in those 29 years. And I remember it. (laughs) Because she thought she knew what I was thinking, And it was not what I was thinking. I remember where we were. She was coming in to the game room. I was about to go out of the game room. She just been, she'd been mad for like a day and a half. I don't know how long she'd been mad. I'm going, what is wrong with you? And and the one time she let me have it, and I and I just kind of grinned because I said, You are so wrong. And she goes, What? And I told her, and she goes, "Uh -uh, and I said, Oh, and and I don't suggest this. I drew a line in the sand and I said, let's fight because this is the one time I know I'm right before God. Let's do it. Let's get ready to rumble. I mean, I was ready. (laughs) And she said, well, here's what I thought. And I said, babe, that was so far from what I thought. Here's what I thought. And she goes, oh, one time, 29 years. I'm I'm shooting for one more before we hit 50. (laughs) What, What you're saying when you validate someone is you matter more than the issue that we're fighting about. So you stop to listen. You say, what are you saying? I value what you're saying. I want to hear you, not just you hear me. Quick to listen, slow to speak. So second, guard your words faithfully. This next verse could solve 99% of your fights. Here it is, Proverbs 21, 23. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth. What? Keep your mouth shut and you'll stay out of trouble. That's a great verse. It's a horrible verse to quote in the middle of a fight. (laughs) Bible says you keep your mouth shut. Whap. Right? (laughs) You deserve that. That is not the Holy Spirit when you try to beat somebody up with. That's the other spirit. Here's a couple of questions. When you're about to say something, you should taste it. But here's the two questions you should ask. Number one, should it be said? Second, should it be said now? Let's say you're going on a, uh, on a cruise out of Fort Lauderdale and you have to get to Dallas-Fort Worth Airport and you're running late and your wife stops and says, we got to wash the dishes before we leave. Guys are thinking, why do we got to wash the dishes now? They'll be fine. What, is a burglar going to break in and see our dishes? 
And she says, I don't care. You wash the dishes because I want to come home to a clean house. And don't say, psycho. You are not going to have a good vacation. Should it have been said? No. Just wash the dishes. My wife likes to come home. And this did not happen to us. (laughs) But she wants a clean house. And my kids know this. So when we'd be gone and my kids were still at home, we'd call them when we'd get back to the airport or whatever. We're like, hey, what are you doing? We are cleaning the house because y'all are coming home. She wants to come home. So should it have been said? No. The next question, should it be said now? Because there are some things that need to be said. There's new stuff that needs to be introduced, but not during a fight. You, you focus on one issue at a time. And let me just tell you this. If you'll focus on one issue at a time, you'll be amazed how quickly you resolve that one issue. You don't bring it up in the middle of a fight. And even if you follow these rules, you're still going to get in fights because we're human. And so let me give you some rules on how to fight. If you're dating, hope to to be dating, hope to be engaged. This is a great time to, to decide. Here's the ground rules. Here they are. Never bring a laundry list of things you want to make right one issue at a time. People come and they have like, you know, that roll that goes on the old uh, adding machine. Rolls down. Here's all the things you've done to me in the last decade. You're not going to make progress on anything. Second, never call names unless it's your little pet name. Hey, Pookie Bear. Sweetums. I don't know what you... Janie and I call each other babe. That's, the, that's as far as... Hey, babe. But you don't call names in a fight. Third, never raise your voice. Nothing good. And see, that's, this is bad for me because when I'm mad, I get intense. I don't yell. I often say, what? And to Janie, that's yelling. One time she came in, she said, I did something and, and you, can't, you can't click. So, so when I'm really mad and I don't want, know what to say, I go... She calls that clicking. To me, that's not clicking, but she came in. She said, you can't click. You can't do this. You can't do this. I'm going, oh, dear God, what'd she do? It wasn't even that bad. But man, when you've had an intro like that, you're going, I didn't do any of those things. I just sat there and looked like an idiot. And she said, you did so good. (laughs) Don't raise your voice. You do whatever you have to do. Count to 10, count to 100, count to 1,000, breathe in, sing a song, say a prayer, say 14 prayers, speak in tongues. I don't know what you need to do. For me, I, I, seriously, this is what I do. If I'm really fired up and I need to calm down, there's a, there's a one-mile trek around our neighborhood. And 90% of the time after I've gotten through one mile, the Lord has spoken to my heart and I can come back in and I can, I can speak um, like a normal human being. 9% of the time it's taken two miles. There is one time, and it wasn't Janie. There's 1% of the time. It was another family member. It took me three miles to come off of my high horse and to say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to let you tell me how to handle this. Whatever you got to do, don't raise your voice. Never get historical. Back in 1962, I remember, no, don't even do that. (laughs) If you're keeping score, you're immature and you don't have a clue what love is because the Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. What does it say about you if you're keeping a record of wrongs and if you bring them up over and over and over? I've moved on. No, you haven't. You wouldn't bring it up if you've moved on. And besides, if you say you never, oh, that's the next one. Ne- never say uh, never or always. Every dude on the planet will get off of the issue and go, there must be one time. One time I didn't do that or one time I did that. And so he's forgotten the issue and he's like, oh, wait, May 8th, 1992. I did it. 
And she's like, you have the spiritual gift of being an idiot, right? Okay, shouldn't have been said, shouldn't have been said. Never threaten divorce. I hear this a lot. We used to have a couch out here in the living room and, and when I would do um, marital counseling, now we have couches over here in the house. When I would counsel couples, they would come and they would sit on that, that couch and, and they were like one thread from divorce. And many times one or both of them had beaten the other head. Well, I'm just leaving. I'll just divorce you. I'll just leave you. You might as well take a bat and smack yourself in the face because you're, you're damaging your relationship. So don't do it. Besides, our last commitment is never give up. If I do your wedding ceremony, I'm going to talk to you about it's a covenant, not a contract. A contract is what you have with Verizon. A covenant is what you make before God. And I'm going to tell you this again. When, when you walk down the center aisle, in the Old Testament, it's called the walk of death. And I say this a lot in weddings and people get married. Uh, they're like, that was my walk of death. I said, congratulations. You just made a walk of death before God. Here's what a walk of death is. In the Old Testament, when you were going to have some type of business arrangement with someone else, you'd take an animal like a, like a cow, you'd split it in two, half here, half here. And you would walk between it and you would say to God and the person you're making a business partnership with, you would say, do to me what I've done to this cow if I dare to break my, my vow to this person. The other person would walk through. It's called the walk of death. And I believe a marriage is a walk of death. It's a covenant, not a contract. The problems we're having in our churches is because we treat our marriages like a contract. It's got to stop. And finally, last one, never quote your pastor during a fight. Leave me out. I don't even remember all of it, but I do remember this. There was, a, there was a girl who'd been in my youth group and she was in our church when we started our church and she was having a fight with her boyfriend and they'd been, they'd been dating a long time. And, and, and she said, I don't remember exactly, but I do remember this one part. She said, and don't you dare quote the great Doug Washburn. And I'm going, how did I get in there? The great Doug Washburn, I'm going, I don't know where you got that, but she did not use that in a, in a flattering way at all. Don't quote me. You got yourself into the situation. You get yourself out. Stop to listen carefully. Guard your words faithfully. And third, handle your anger righteously. There is a way to do it. You're going to get angry, but you need to be led by the Spirit of God. So James says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and what else? Slow to become angry. And here's why. Ephesians tells us why. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Don't let sin, don't sin by letting anger do what? When you're controlled by anger, you know people that are controlled by anger. If you're sitting by one, don't, don't elbow one or don't smile. But let me just be as honest with you as I can. If you're controlled by anger, that's not the Holy Spirit. It's the unholy spirit. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And here's why. Because anger gives the devil, your enemy, the enemy of God, gives him a foothold. Being angry is not a sin. It's what you do with it that determines whether it's a sin or not. And for some of you, this is the most important thing you can learn. Don't go to bed mad. Now, it hasn't happened recently, but there were times Janie and I would stay up half the night to talk through an issue. And, and I remember times going, I just want to go to sleep. But my sweet wife would not let it go. She said, mm -mm. not until we finish this. And I'm grateful to God for that. And can I tell you that, that it's not a foothold in the lives of most Christ followers. It's a fortress 
and there are the spirits of darkness are just coming in and out and all they have to do is whisper a word and you fly off into a fury because you're controlled by anger, which means the unholy spirit has gotten in you. Shay's telling me that I'm, I'm hitting, sometimes Shay just really gets into it and I love that. Shay's my friend. She's saying amen. That's what she just said. I'm interpreting and here's, why, here's how you get a fortress in your life of anger. It's called the law of attention. I'm reading this book called The 4-8 Principle, and it's based on Philippians 4, chapter 8, and I'm just reading this. It's incredible, this book. I'm going to have to do a whole series on it in, in the spring. But he talks about the law of attention. Here's what the law of attention is. Whatever you dwell upon becomes increasingly prominent in your own mind. So if you want to stay angry, focus on what they did that made you angry. If you want to reconcile, you focus on what they've done right. That's called the law of exchange. The law of exchange says you can change the channel of your mind. And this, this jumped off. I put this in my notes, and it's highlighted in my notes. This is one of the things he said. Loving thoughts disrupt angry thoughts. If I'm angry towards my spouse and I start thinking about all the reasons that I was attracted to her, all of a sudden I feel love and not anger. Loving thoughts disrupt angry thoughts. When you find a person who is emotionally drained, who is, is, is depressed, it's because all they focus on is negative. And I'm not saying there's not clinical depression, but I'm just saying even clinically depressed people are focusing on negative stuff all the time. Your emotions, you have the ability, your emotions have the ability to spiral, spiral up, upward or spiral, spiral downward. I cannot say that word based on what you choose. Let me... Even someone who is clinically depressed, if they were to get a phone call today that they, ha they had won an all-expenses-paid trip to Cancun, they'd be going, yes! And then a negative person would hang up the phone and go, but COVID, I'll probably die, but there's, there's drug cartels in that area, I'll probably die, I'll probably die, right? It's what you focus on. She says, yes, that's right. Shay's, Shay's agreeing with me. If... If you want to be positive, you have to focus on positive. If you want to be negative, keep on thinking about negative things. You don't have to be a passenger of your emotions. You can be the driver. And here's how. The key is in Philippians 4.8. Paul's talking to the church at Philippi, and he says, Finally, brethren, that just means whoever believers are, brothers and sisters in Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters in Christ. Look what he says. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if there's anything wor uh, worthy of praise, what is that next word? Dwell. Dwell on these things. So if I think, is it true that Janie meant to hurt me? No, it's not. If I use this as a filter, is it honorable that I want to hurt her back? No. I don't get very far in this filter of things that are pure and lovely and of good repute, and my mind dwells. I, I, make, I make a house there, and I live in the house of the positive because too many people live in the house of the negative, and they're getting beat up. When it comes to your relationships, you never, never, never win by going negative. Look what Paul says to the Roman church. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? Now, don't you dare say you're evil to your spouse, okay? That's, that's, that's going bad. Because anytime you don't work it out, you don't forgive, you go to bed angry, you know what happens the next day? That problem gets a little bit bigger, and you actually have contributed to how big the problem is because it's in your mind, and you won't let it go. 
What you have today in your life, this, this massive anger, this bitterness, this resentment you have towards someone started probably years ago, very, very small, but you disobeyed the word of God and you didn't go to them like Matthew 18 says. You didn't go to them one-on-one. You said, I don't need to do what the scripture says. I would rather hold on to my grudge and let it get bigger. And it gets bigger and bigger. So what you have today is this massive fortress where the enemy of God has access to your life because you disobeyed God years ago and you didn't go to him when it was a little bitty problem. I've moved on. No, you haven't because you keep bringing it back up. So your spouse has 10 positive qualities and 10 not so positive. Go ahead and put that up there if you would, Krista. 10 positive and 10 not so positive, and so do you. And here's the thing. You never, 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 never get the marriage you want by focusing on the 10 not so positive qualities of your spouse. You have to focus on the 10 positive. Because then when you do, you're like, oh, these things are so attractive to me. And those other things, they're, they're annoyances. They're nuisances. Those of you who are, who are not married, let me let you in on a little secret. Nobody ever told me this, that when you get married, you immediately become, you become a master at fighting dirty at night. Because what happens, you get into bed and you assume the fighting position. You know what that is? Back to back. She faces one wall, he faces the other. I mean, there were times when, when we first got married, I'd get in and, and Janie... If her back was to me, I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> right? And if you're in the fighting position, you don't dare let your foot stray over into enemy territory. Because if you brush their toe, they're like, get your toe away from me. You're not getting any toe from me tonight. You play with your own toe for all I care. <laughs> she faces one wall, he faces the other. One of them is the silent fighter and one of them is the huffer. <sighs> I'm more of a puffer. When I'm really mad, it's like. <laughs> Don't you touch my toe. How many of you are the silent type? All right, there's a few. How many of you are puffers? How many of you are huffers? God bless you. God bless you. Now, if we're healthy, what are we doing? We're seeking God together. Some of you uh, may have tried to pray together, but you stopped. Don't stop. Don't stop flossing. It's a good habit. You miss a day, you start praying again. If you're continuing to seek God, guess what happens when you get in a fight? Because this is what Janie and I do. If Janie and I are in a disagreement, we pray every night. It is really hard to pray when you're ticked off at your spouse. Reach over and hold her hand and pray. I know it's coming, so we've got to resolve it beforehand. It's impossible to be close to God and be far from your spouse. You can't do it. So when we're fighting, we don't react in the flesh. We react in the spirit. And here it is. When you react in the flesh, you bring glory to Satan. When you react in the spirit, you bring glory to your heavenly father. And here's what Ephesians six twelve says. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. How many of you are married to someone who's flesh and blood? If you're not, we got way more serious issues and you should probably schedule an appointment with me or Casey privately and we'll talk about that. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. Then who are we fighting against? Against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I know you have some serious issues. Some of your issues aren't so serious. I hear them and I'm going, what? That's what you're fighting over? Get over it. Grow up. There are some really serious issues, but here's my point. 
If you'll seek God, if you'll fight fair, there is nothing that is impossible with God. There is no relationship. If two people are seeking God, there's nothing he can't overcome. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, I want to give you four, we're going to call them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. If these are in your relationship, I'm not overstating this. There's a huge red flag going on. You need help. Number one, criticizing. There's a difference in criticizing and complaining. Complaining is you said you'd do this, you didn't do it. Um, How come you didn't do it? I'm disappointed. Or complaining is when you do this, you make me feel like this. Criticizing is focused on the, the person. Criticizing is you liar. You never, you always, you hypocritical, you just fill in the blank. You lazy, you're attacking the person, not the problem. You now have more problems than when you started. And see, when there's a consistency of criticizing in your marriage, it's a huge red flag because criticizing then leads to the second horseman, which is contempt. Contempt is where I'm disgusted. Not this thing you do disgust me, you disgust me, which then leads to defensiveness. Defensiveness is excuses and blaming. And when I talk to the guy, it's all her fault. If she would change, I'd talk to the girl. It's all his fault. If he would only do this, I'm going, wait, wait, wait. How many people does it take to fight? I'm going to say three because we just read the verse that said our struggle is not against flesh and blood. There's an enemy of God who is attacking you. There's, it takes three to fight. Then there's one final step. It's called stonewalling, and this is when you're really in trouble. This is I, I don't care what you do. I don't care if Jesus is raised from the dead. I don't care if Jesus is right here. I am not reconciling with you. You're done. Those are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. If you see those things, it's past time to seek God with everything you've got, get it some counseling, whatever you need to do. All things are possible with God, but, but some of you have been without God since before your relationship even started. And when your relationship started, it started in sin, it's, it's continued in sin, and your fighting is filled with sin because you live by the satanic Bible. You don't, do not live by the word of God. It's time to get right. I have two core fears. Mine is being controlled and being belittled. It kind of sets me off, and Janie has learned that, and she'll now say, hey, I didn't mean to belittle you, or I didn't mean to control you. Her core fear is being abandoned. Her daddy abandoned her and her mama, and she, she has this un, ungodly fear that men leave. And so many times, I don't even know how many times, in the middle of a fight, we're, we're laying in bed, I'll reach over and I'll grab her hand, or I'll snuggle up next to her, and I say, I'm not going anywhere. I promised you from this day forward, and I'm staying with you. And you can watch her spirit just calm in the midst of a fight. See, if we're following God, we're not going to fight against each other. We're going to fight against the enemy of God who wants to destroy our marriages. We're going to fight? Yep, we're going to fight fair. We're not going to fight for victory. We're going to fight for resolution. And as we do that, as we seek God, as we fight fair, as we have fun, as we stay pure, as we never, never Never give up. The God who raised Jesus from the dead infuses your relationship with resurrection power. And you can make it till death do you part. Would you bow your heads? I'm just curious if there's anybody here, nobody looking around because this is serious time. Is there anybody here that would raise your hand and say, I need help personally, not even, not even in relationships, just personally, I need God. Thank you. Now, this is really serious. 
because I don't want anybody looking around, how many of you would say, my marriage needs help? Thank you. Father, you've seen the hands of people who are being attacked by your enemy. Would you come and and make your presence known to them? You've seen the hands of those marriages that need your help. God, I pray that both husband and wife would be stirred by the Spirit of God, that you would fan into flame the gift of God that's in your followers, and they would desire to follow your word, not the satanic Bible, and God, they would desire to honor you with everything they say and do. God, if they'll seek you, if they'll fight fair, I know that you'll bring incredible healing in their marriage. We dedicate these lives and these marriages to you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.